You know that, that if getting to heaven was the point, was the goal, at the point of salvation, you'd be done, right? God would just take you home. There would be no point to stay behind. But there's a process of transformation of being conformed to the image of Jesus that God wants to achieve in our lives that he wants to bring about. And he is committed to that process. And part of that process is us understanding who we are as the church. See, because we're not just islands. We're not lone rangers. That we're called to, to be together as the family of God, as the sons and daughters of, of, of God in, in the church. And so understanding how that our confirmation to the image of Jesus fits into that is really important. So the prophetic witness of his love. This word prophecy or prophetic, I think, has, has gotten kind of skewed. Um, in some circles, actually has kind of a negative connotation because cause people hear the word prophecy and they're like, oh, that's, that's just kind of that weird stuff that happens where people are doing, you know, talking about future and, 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 and predicting the future. But at its core, prophecy actually has a couple of meanings that we need to grasp when we talk about the prophetic witness of his love. Uh, two, two definitions of prophecy for us uh, are this. There's foretelling and foretelling. A foretelling is... Uh, when someone has a prophetic gift and, and they can speak about things that have not yet happened and there's a, a word that comes to them and says, you know, I see this taking place. The Old Testament prophets were foretelling of things that they saw that would, wouldn't happen for, for thousands of years. The prophecies that Isaiah had about who Jesus would be, he, he was talking about something that had not yet happened. But there's an element of prophecy that's also called foretelling. And it's simply this, declaring truth. When I speak truth, I am a prophetic witness of what is true. Well, who is true? Jesus is truth. God is truth. His word is truth. What I am doing even this morning, preaching from the word of God, is prophecy. It is foretelling. It is declaring the truth of God's love and his word uh, in this context today, in this congregation. But the prophetic witness of God's love for us as the church is that we take his love to the world and we display it, we live it out so that people can see it. Because there are people who don't know. You know that there are people who, do, who don't know that God loves them. There are people that don't know that God is real, that he has a plan for their lives, that Jesus died for their sin to make atonement for their sin. They just don't know. And God's called each one of us to step out into the world to live our lives to the prophetic witness of his love. It was his design for Israel to be the prophetic witness of God's love. It's his design for his church today that we would be that. So last week we started, and I, I shared about uh, football getting started at Glendora High School. Our son is playing football. We got to go to the fall kickoff, and then this last week he had a scrimmage against another game, and so they got to test out some of their plays, and, and, uh, and, and it was fun to watch as they, the coaches were out on the field with these two teams and giving instruction. But I shared about how it's so critical for a football player at the start of the play to make sure that they're in the right stance. In fact, I was talking to Blake about how, how things went at the scrimmage. They went to, to practice on Saturday and watched film and talked about how things went. And, and he's saying, yeah, Dad, I've got to get my body lower. I was tackling too high. I was hitting him too, light, too high. I've got to get lower. And so he was talking about his stance. 
That as a linebacker, that's, there's a place where he needs to be positioned. If you're on the line, you're down on the line, you've got to get your feet set, and you've got to be ready to go. With this message about love, about God's agape love, and us being the prophetic witness of his love as a church, is, is that picture. It's us setting our stance, that we need to be ready to engage with the things that God has for us. See, a football player who's just kind of in the back, just kind of arms crossed, looking, you know, you ever been to a little, a little league game, and like there's the kid in the outfield who's like picking flowers or doing like this, right? You do that in football, you're going to get nailed, and it's going to hurt, right? You can't do that. You have to be ready. As the church, we have to be ready to engage with the opportunities, the things that God brings in, into our path so that we can be that prophetic witness. I gave this definition. I'm, probably, I'm going to sh- keep sharing it all the way through this sermon series. We can put this up on the screen. The definition of the church, this is, uh, this is a, a, a definition my f- a friend of mine actually came up with. I liked it so much. I said, I'm going I'm to steal that from you. I really like this. It says this, the church is a community of people called out from every nation on earth to display, demonstrate, and declare God's nature God's ways and God's truth to all who live on the earth so that they might turn to him and live. So that they might turn to him and live. Do you see the prophetic nature to display, demonstrate, and declare his nature, ways, and truth? That we are supposed to evidence those things, to show those things to the world. Not just so that we can say, hey, check us out. We're the church. We're better than you. We got to figure it out, right? Shiny, happy people holding hands. All right, some of you get that. Um, that's not what the, the goal of it isn't just that we can say, hey, I got things figured out. Hope you do, I hope you do too. Good luck to you. No, we display it so that people will see Jesus in us and have the opportunity to turn their lives to Him and live the prophetic witness. This is what we are about. as the church of Jesus Christ. This is what we are called to. So as a quick recap, and I want to go quickly because we've got a lot of ground to cover. Talked about heaven, human versus heavenly love. Human love makes sense to people. It's the kind of love you're like, yeah, you love that person because they're nice to you and you don't love that person because they're not. Makes sense, right? Human love doesn't need, you don't need God's help to, to display human love. You can do it all on your own. All on your own. You don't need anyone's help. It's like a three-year-old, like, yeah, I did it all on my own. God says, you know what? You shouldn't be able to display love on all, all on your own. You should need God's help because it should run against the fabric of everything our culture says and the world says is an acceptable way of love. Heavenly love doesn't make sense. It's loving in the places and in the times where the rest of the world and maybe even the people around you would go, oh yeah, you don't have to love them. They're not deserving of your love. Heavenly love says that's exactly when you love. That's exactly when you step out and say, I am choosing to love you with agape love of God. Not tolerance. Not tolerance. Tolerance is the cheapest knockoff of love. Would you rather be loved or tolerated? I'd rather be loved. I'd rather be loved. 
doesn't make sense to the world and heavenly love can only be given with God's help. It's only through God's help that we can display his love to the world because if I'm left to myself, I default to human love and defining things in my own terms. We talked about two things. We talked about the attitude of God's love out of 1 Corinthians. Love has an attitude. Love has an attitude. Like when, when uh, you know, maybe you're not getting along with your spouse and, they, you know, and you try and make up and, and one will say, well, I love you. And the other one goes, yeah, I love you too. Love has an attitude, right? And you're like, yeah, I'm not really convinced. Love can have an attitude. God's love has an attitude. And it, it's displayed in 1 Corinthians 13. But I wanted to put up, I talked about our rights. And as a nation, we pride ourselves on our rights. My right to this, my right to that. We have the Bill of Rights, which is an awesome document. But I think we've kind of missed the essence of the rights. We, we insert my right before any sentence. And now you can't argue with me. Because it's my right, my right to whatever I want, and now I just shut you down. And we get so hung up on our rights. God says, you know what, when you come to me, when you give your life to me, you're essentially, you're giving up your rights. And so I actually put these on the screen today, because I wanted to read through them again. Uh, My wife was reminding me, she's like, some of us need to see it. Put it on the screen so we can read it. I'm like, okay, great, I'll do that. Because of God's agape love, as displayed in 1 Corinthians 13. Here's what I'm giving up. I will never have the right to be, be mean or unkind to someone else. Never. I just don't have that right anymore. I don't have the right to compare myself to others to justify my attitude. Anyone? Yeah? Yeah. Oh, you're a bunch of liars. <laughs> I never have the right to compare myself to others, to justify my attitude, to think that I'm in the right because of their wrong. Never. Never have the right to be rude to someone else. Now, it doesn't define who that someone else is. Someone else would just simply be someone else. Not, not, well, people that you're close to, people that you know well, or people that you care about. No, someone else is anyone else. We don't have the right to be rude. We don't have the right to blow off someone's thoughts and wishes. We don't have the right to act irritated or with, and with resent or disdain. We just don't have that right anymore. We don't have the right to rejoice in getting even or in someone's getting a taste of what his or her own medicine, right? You, you're, you're just dessert. You just got what you deserve. There is no karma in Christianity, because if we got what we deserve, we wouldn't be here today. But it's all about the grace and the love of God that says, I'm going to give you what you don't deserve, life eternal. Amen? We don't have the right to write people off. We don't have the right to declare that someone is beyond help or hope. We don't have the right to believe someone is no longing, longer deserving of love. Now listen, it doesn't mean that some people are hard to love. And this is not about fake it till you make it. I just said that you can't give this love without the help of God. And it's in these exact places that, that, that like the rubber meets the road. There's these people that, that I know in my life, I could probably list them off for you, the people that I have a hard time loving. But that doesn't mean I get to, to just choose not to. I don't have 
that right. We're going to talk about that a little bit more this morning. So that's the attitude of God's love. The attitude is there's no attitude. It's all in. It's all embracing and all encompassing. And then finally, we talked about the evidence of heaven's love. John 13, 34 through 35, by this all men will know you are my disciples. How? The love you have for each other. God's love is evidenced in our lives when we love each other, speaking specifically of the church of his body. So we're going to talk about two things this morning. I've got a lot of scripture to cover. You know, go figure. The Bible has a lot to talk about and says a lot about love. And so I have to kind of pick and choose because I'm like, we could be here for the rest of the year, uh, give every Sunday to this conversation, and, and I'd love that, but we have some other things we need to cover as well. So we're going to cover a little bit of territory in the Word of God this morning, so kind of hang with me. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, if you want to turn in your Bibles there. I want to talk about two things, the confidence of heaven's love. We talked about the attitude of his love the evidence of his love this morning, the confidence of his love, and then the second part of the message will be the gift of heaven's love. So the confidence of heaven's love and the gift of heaven's love. Um, and here's how I'm going to approach the confidence of heaven's love. We're going to read this passage in first, uh, 1 John 4 uh, in its entirety. It's a pretty uh, big chunk of scripture. And then we're going to break it down by section, and we'll, we'll cover each section and I'll have some points that I'll put up on the screen for you uh, if you want to take notes. So 1 John 4, 7 through 21. 1 John 4, 7 through 21. Dear friends, that's us. Let us love one another. For love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. That's a sobering thought right there. Whoever does not agape does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and that he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete or perfected is the word there. In us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given uh, us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. He says it again. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him there is no fear in love but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment the one who fears is not made perfect in love we love because he first loved us if anyone says i love god yet hates his brother 
He is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. I read that passage, and I imagine this as I start reading in verse 7, and and as you get closer to the end, I imagine a scene in a movie where the music starts building, like a brave heart, or one of those epic movies, right? The battle scene in The Lord of the Rings, where the music kind of starts out quiet, and then it just starts building and building and building. And then at the right moment, it's just this crescendo, right? And you're just like coming out of your seats. Anyone with me? Anyone? Are you guys awake this morning? You with me? Come on. I know there's some movie buffs and you're in that movie and you're like, yes, yes. Come on. Let's let's do this. As John is writing this passage, here's what he's doing. He's moving us from simple, simply knowing that God loves us. And he keeps building and reiterating and saying, here we go, here we go, here we go. And he finishes with this, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Da-da! And it's like this, this over the top. I love that. I love that God just wants to make it so plain for us. Because the reality is if we read this verse, this, this section of scripture a few times, I don't even need to preach on it. Because there's enough just reading it that should impact your heart and stir you and convict you and motivate you and just want to make you want to get out of your seat and go love someone. Am I right? Okay. Maybe I'll preach on it. All right. (laughs) So here, there's a few points I want to draw. We're going to start in verse 7 through 8. Agape comes from God. Paul start. I mean, uh, John starts here. Agape comes from God. Verse 7 and 8 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. The source of agape is always and only forever God himself. You don't have it to give. When someone says of an unbeliever, person who doesn't know the Lord, a pre-Christian, I like to say. When someone says of someone who doesn't know the Lord, well, but they're a good, kind person. What's wrong with that? That's, that's great, but they're loving in a way that looks good to the world. And it's not that it's necessarily a bad thing. It's good to love people. But the world's love and agape are not the same. And someone who doesn't know God can't give agape because they don't have it to give. Because agape only comes from God. God is the source of agape. And those who love God are part of his kingdom, a part of his realm. He's invited us into and made us heirs of his kingdom. And he says, as heirs, of this kingdom, we are the recipients of this amazing thing called agape. When he says in Romans, when Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, that that God's desire is that we would be conformed to the image of Christ, what he is saying is, I want you to love perfectly the way that Jesus does. 
This is the essence. It's at the heart. It's at the very core of God's kingdom and who he is. It doesn't say that God is a loving God. It just says that God is love. God is love. Love is God. It is the very definition of who he is. God is agape. That is why when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, it broke his heart because agape was broken. But immediately after Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, agape starts making a plan to restore the relationship. You hurt me. You offended me. You walked into disobedience to me. And my heart is now, I want to reconcile that relationship. And only he could do it. Why? Because God is love. So agape comes from God. Number two is this. Agape is defined by God. We, go, we don't get to define agape. Agape is not something that we get to say, well, let me put my spin on it. You don't have a spin. And whatever spin you put on it, you're going to mess it up. Am I right? You don't get to put your spin on it. Agape is defined by God, verse 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son and as, a, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Agape defined by God is this. I will give everything. I will give everything for you and it will cost me dearly. And I'm willing. I'm willing to do that. That is what agape is. So when God says to us, I'm calling you to love like I love, what he's saying is, are you willing to give everything? Everything of who you are. When we talk about those rights, giving up those rights, and it's like, oh, well, I, and God's saying, no, it's not even that. I want to take it a step further. Are you willing to give everything you are, everything you are for someone else? So that someone else would see God and live. Are you willing? The reality that the God of the heavens and the earth, the creator of all things, sent his son into a rebellious, sinful world, knowing that they would take his life, that he would be beaten, that he would be crushed, that he would be crucified. God also knew that Jesus would rise from the dead. But Jesus was fully God and fully man. And that, that beating, that pain was real. He said, for you, for you, I will do this thing. And he defined for once and for all what agape is. And we look at that and go, God, I'm not capable of that. I can't do that. Jesus says, yes, you can. Because I've put my spirit in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, will empower you to love in an uncommon way, in a way that, that the world will say, go and look at and say, that doesn't make sense. How can you even do that? And when they do, when they see it in you, they will see Jesus. Verse 11 through 14, agape reveals God. 
Agape reveals who God is. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And that's the first time John brings us into this, into this thought in this passage. Here's what God has done for you. And the music starts building, right? God is love. And because he's love, he gave his son, and it starts building. And he says, and because, because Jesus died for you, right? Since you, God so loved us, we need to love each other. And it just gets even higher. Now it's not just about what you can get. It's about what you can give, what you can share. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete. It is perfected in us. We know that we live in him. And he in us. Because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. When we see agape, we see God. Since God loved us, we ought to love one another. Here He says, we ought. He's building. He's getting somewhere. Kind of easing into the water a little bit. God loved you. You should love other people. It's not how He ends the the chapter, though, agape reveals God. The evidence, the prophetic witness of our lives paints a picture for people. It paints a picture for people of who God is. It paints a picture that can only be seen through love. It can only be seen through love. The Bible says that works without love is dead. That our very best, the very best we have to offer, if it is not motivated by agape, that people look at it and go, well, that's empty, that's shallow, that's self-serving. And that is a, a brush that has been used to paint the church in America as of late. Well, you're just doing that to get something from me. Can I tell you that's not agape? That as the church, as the church, not as an institution, but as the followers of Jesus Christ, he says to us, go into the world and display my love in such a way that people will see God, not you doing something nice for someone else. Because it misses the mark. Agape reveals God in the way that we love each other. Agape perfected gives confidence, verses 14, 15 through 18. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. Can I just stop there? It would be so easy to just read past this. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. It is, this is the hope of the world. The Harvest Crusade last night, I think, Jesse, you posted a picture. The altar call. Thousands of people coming down out of their seats, responding to, to a call saying, will you acknowledge Jesus Christ in your life? And people got up out of their seats and came down to the stage and said, yes. Yes. And because of that move, because of that simple move, it says that God lives in them and they live in God. In him I live and move have my being. 
It's the starting point for us all to engage. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, the only way through Jesus Christ, God lives in him, and he and God, and a door is open. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Again, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love has been made complete among us that we have confidence, that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world, we are like Jesus. We are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. It's a big a big idea, but there is a confidence that comes. When I acknowledge Jesus, when he becomes the Lord of my life, fear has to head out the door. Fear is cast out because perfect love casts out fear. And what is replaced is a confidence to live for God with, without any shame, without, with just total abandon. I'm giving all to him because he's given all to me. It gives us a confidence to know that one day I will be, stand before the judgment seat of God. If you didn't know that, let me tell you this morning. One day you will stand before the Bema seat, it's called. The judgment seat of God. It's not the, the, the judgment seat where, where you'll be judged as to whether you, or not you're saved. That's the great white throne. That's a different seat. A different throne. This is the judgment seat where Jesus will say, what did you do with your life? And you will have to give an account of how you lived agape. It comes down to this. Jesus said, I saved you, but not just to get to heaven. I saved you for a greater purpose. And that purpose is to agape, to be that prophetic witness of love to the world. We will all stand before that judgment seat and give an account, every one of us. No one will get away. God will say, what did you do with agape? How did you love? Did you love well? And when I understand what God has done for me, the love he has for me, the agape that he's bestowed on me, and then I understand that because I've got it, I can give it, there is a confidence I now have, not just in the moment, but for the future, that I can, I know that if I love well, I'll stand before God and I'll hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. And I don't have to be on like this, this unstable ground going, I, I don't know if God loves me today. I don't know if I've done enough good things. I don't know if I'm going to qualify. I hope I make it to heaven, or at least if I get there, if I just kind of eke in, that, that God will just be happy enough with me. Can I tell you that that's not agape? God says, I've given it all for you. I've embraced you fully. The problem isn't that there's not enough of God's love. It's that we have a hard time receiving it. We have a hard time because the world around us says, no, 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 you're not deserving. Because they, we take a humanly love, a human, humanly acceptable love, and we overlay over God and say, well, God probably is sitting down, look, you know, up, up in his throne with his beard and his lightning rod, like looking at me going, oh, really? I'm going to have to strike you with lightning. That is not God. That is not who God is. And so we have to understand that God gives us confidence to love because he's loved us so perfectly. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. 
You know what's interesting is that, I mean, God calls us to live these lives that are perfect, but the perfection is always tied to love. It's always tied to love. He doesn't say, hey, just go out there and live a life where you don't make any mistakes. It's not about what you don't do. It's about what you do. It's about living agape, not, not being a person who makes mistakes every day. And when we get that, when we understand that, when that settles in our soul, can you hear the crescendo building? You can love because you've been loved. You can be confident because God, and here's the army now. Picture the army. Come on, any Lord of the Rings fans? I'm getting excited all by myself here. The Lord of the Rings, and they're shaking their, 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 their uh, shields, and they're hitting the, you know, their, 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 their swords on their shields and hitting their spears on the ground because they're going, we can do this. We can do this. We have the confidence to do this. We're going to take the enemy out. And the music builds. We have the confidence that agape gives. And it just should make you want to run out the door and go and love someone. Not hit him with a sword or a shield. The analogy breaks down at that point. We have to accept this truth. And I just tell you, church, this morning, you are loved. You are loved with an everlasting never fading, never diminishing love, an unconditional all-in love. You are loved. And finally, in this section at least, the confidence of heaven's love. You can only give what you've received. You can only give what you've received. If anyone, uh, sorry, verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Before, it was kind of a suggestion. You should. But he's like, no, now we're at the crescendo of this thing. It's not a should anymore. Because he's saying, "I've, I've told you now what kind of love God has for you. And so now it moves from an optional thing to a command. You must love your brother. If you say you love God, you must love your brother. You don't have the right to say, I love that person, but not that person. This person is deserving of my love, and that person, well, they can do whatever they want. They're not going to get anything from me. God better love them because I'm not going to. That is an absolute oxymoron. And if you say that, you're just being a moron. Yes, I said that in church. Because we can't, do, can't speak out of both sides of our mouths. God didn't do that for us. He didn't say, hey, I love you kind of, sort of, maybe, if you're nice to me. Because we weren't. We were jerks to him. He says, I love you anyway. We're going to nail you to a cross and beat you. I love you anyway. Father, forgive them. Hanging on the cross, Father, forgive them. Agape being evidence to the world so much so that when Jesus died, the crowd said, surely he was the son of God. Because no one does that. And love, agape, is evidence We can only give what we've received. 
You have to receive it in order to give it. It's not feeling-based. It's not emotion-based. It can't be, because I tell you what, our emotions will win every time. Our feelings will win every time. We have to go, Lord, what do you want? Lord, what do you want? I surrender my life to you. I surrender. I surrender. Daily. Hourly. Every other minute. I surrender. God, this isn't about me. It's about you and about your love being evidenced. God, I surrender. Let your love shine through me. Can I just tell you this morning, you cannot reach those you don't love. You cannot reach those you don't love. You can't say, well, I have a heart for the world, but just this part of the world, not that part of the world. I have, a, I have a love for these people, but not these people. You can't say, I don't love gay people or homosexuals and expect to reach them. Let's pick on something that's fresh in our world, in our context, Right? And it's so polarizing the church because we make it about morality and God says, forget about that. Make it about love. Because as a church, we keep expecting righteous behavior from people who are unredeemed. And God's like, I didn't expect that of you. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. And so we stand in a place of judgment. And God says, no, 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 no. I'm the one who gets to do that, not you. You just go love. Go love, go love, go love. Now, does that mean that we don't speak truth? Absolutely not. That the prophetic witness of God's truth, there are things in that we do not, can I tell you one of the most unloving things you can do to someone, for someone is to, say, to tell them something is true of this book that's not. So our love has its foundation right here. But I can share the truth of God's word in a way that doesn't tear people apart. In fact, I have to. Jesus walking down the road and he sees Levi, the tax collector. And the tax collectors just insert in that culture, in that day, they were the worst, the worst of the worst. When it says in the Bible, oh, Jesus spent time with a tax collector, imagine the worst person you can in our culture, in our context. That's who Jesus was spending time. There was no one who is more reviled than the tax collector. And Levi, Jesus says, Levi, and he says, hey, come follow me. And you know where Jesus leads him? He goes back to Levi's house. You know, confusion on Levi. You know, he's like, okay, Lord, I'll follow you. Wait, wait a minute. Hey, this is my street. It's my house. He's like, yeah, I want to come in for dinner. You want to be in my house? You want to spend time with me? Don't you know who I am? Yeah. And it says that salvation came to that house that day. That Jesus models for us this. Love those who are unlovely, those who are lost. He didn't say, hey, listen, Levi, if you just repent right now and turn from all your wickedness, I might come to your house for dinner. Levi would be like, I don't need that. I've got lots of people who want to hang out with me. How is agape evidenced in your, love, your life? 
the crescendo of this is this. You must love. You don't have a choice. And if you give yourself that freedom, oh, just don't. Just don't. Because you're not being the church. Not, not a sense of going to church. I say you're not being the church. This is not a message to pastors and Christian leaders saying, hey, you, you all need to do this, and I hope your congregation gets it. That's not what this is. You are the church. This is the word to God's church. John three sixteen. Come on, it's the verse that, that even people who don't know Scripture know this verse. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. That he gave. Love gave. There's a cost. You must. It's a command. We don't have a choice. But I tell you what, when I know who I am and where I've come from and the way that God's loved me and the fact that he's the source and it builds and it builds and I'm like, okay, I just gotta go find someone to love now because I've got it to give. And if that's not welling up inside of you, read 1 John 4 every day. Just start your day out here and let that build in your heart and your life. I want to be that kind of church. I want to be that kind of people where the world says, what is the deal with you? You're freaking me out in a great way because I want to hate you, but I, but I can't because you just love me. And I know I'm not being loving. I've said this before. I'll say it again all the time. Sinners don't need to be convinced by you that they're sinners. They know. They might not acknowledge it. They might not have a t-shirt that says, I'm a sinner and I'm proud of it. No. But they know. And sometimes as Christians, we think that we're supposed to be the Holy Spirit to people and convict them of their sin. And God says, no, I've got that one too. You just go love them. And in the context of love, doors will open where they'll say, okay, so why? What's the deal with you? I'm going to pick on Sergio. He doesn't know this, but he's leading a Bible study. And Sorry, bro. I didn't ask for permission. He's leading a Bible study in his workplace. Started with one person saying, hey, I'm, I'm interested. What, what's the deal with you? He's like, well, I'd love to tell you. Why don't we get together after work? Is it Thursdays or, yeah. Why don't we get together after? And now how many people? Five people. Five people, one gal, he was telling me, never been to church, never read a Bible in her life. The story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, never heard it, ever. And she's showing up and she's got questions. And she's liking what she's hearing. Dude, way to go. Way to be the church. You have it to give. You have it to give. I've got to move on. The confidence to stand up in your workplace and say, listen, not on your chair, not on your desk, don't make it weird, but to live agape in such a way that someone's going to come up and go, okay, what's the deal with you? What's going on? How? Why? Because you're not the same. There's something about you. Amen? All right. Confidence. It will cause us to do things we never dreamed we could do before. I guarantee you. There's something about going on missions trips is one of the reasons I love missions trips. Because when we get out of our culture and our context, this comes awake in us. When we're not afraid that someone's going to see me 
at the grocery store. I don't know what it is. We're just wired that way. I pray that God like, like shorts the wiring. But right, if you've been on a missions trip, I've seen people do things on the mission field that they never dreamed they could do before because the confidence is there to step out. But we all have it. We shouldn't have to go somewhere else. God's saying, do it now. Do it right where you are. Okay, finally this morning, the gift of God's love, the gift of heaven's love. It is a gift. It is a gift because you didn't have to do anything to get it. You didn't even ask for it. At Christmas, you have to ask for those, right? I'd like this. Where's my wish list? I, I was going through iPhoto on my, uh, my computer. I had to delete some photos because there's just so many. And I came across last Christmas, my kids went on Target.com and they screenshotted everything they wanted. There must have been like 100 pictures. And so when grandmas and grandpas were saying, and aunties were saying, hey, what do you want for Christmas? They were just sending pictures. I'm like, that's genius. But you still have to ask. That the gift of God's love is something you didn't even have to ask for. You didn't even know you wanted or needed it. God says, but, but I gave it. Getting ahead of myself. The gift of heaven's love, first of all, to you. It is a gift to you, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For it is by God's grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, his poema, his masterpiece. Say, I am God's masterpiece. All right, we're going to do that again. I am God's masterpiece. Ready, go. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. First part, verse 8. You've been saved by, by, by grace, by, by grace through faith. And it's not from you, it's from God. It's a gift. God says, everything I have, I give to you. You are a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You're a co-heir with God. He's like, I'm not holding anything back. You get it all. You get it all. Free. You didn't even know you wanted it, but you got it. You got a kingdom. Boom. There it is. You didn't have to do anything to receive it. Again, it's hard for us sometimes to think that we're actually deserving of it. No, no, it can't be me. Maybe I got like a little corner of the kingdom. Maybe a little just like the broom closet. God's like, no, the whole thing. It belongs to all of you, everything. It's all yours. And he's like, I'm preparing a place for you. And it's an awesome place. The pavement's made out of gold. So I can't wait. Can you I just, I can't even imagine. So good. Can't earn it. It's a gift to be received. Receive his love. Receive his love. But it's not just for you. It's not just for you. It's for others as well. For we are God's workmanship. Awesome. He made me. He created me. I'm his masterpiece. Why? Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. To do good works. Wait a minute. Works? Isn't works in salvation? No, this is not about salvation. He's saying, I've saved you, because, and you couldn't do anything about it. You had nothing to bring to the table. 
It wasn't like 99% God and 1% you made salvation possible. It was all God and nothing, all you had to just, you just had to acknowledge. Yep, need that. And he's like, great, you got it. So nothing that you had to bring. The works come after. He said, I didn't just save you so you can get to heaven. I've got something for you to do. Because there's other people who need me. They need to see me. And I'm going to display my love for them through you. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And check this out. Which God prepared in advance for you to do. I love when we we go somewhere. uh, Megan and I will go somewhere without the kids. I'm like, hey, bye guys. Good luck. But Megan's like, hey, I've prepared some things for you guys. And there's a list. There's a list on the fridge. Blake, you need to do this. Gavin, you need to do this. Grace, you need to do this. This is dinner. She prepares something in advance, right? It's a loving thing to do. I'm like, out the door. Good luck. Fend for yourselves. Um, no, I love my kids. But, but there's something about, about the heart, the nurturing of a mom that says, I'm going to prepare. God says, I prepared something for you to do. In advance, I knew. And I've got a job for you to do, and I need you to step in and do it. We were created for good works in Christ. Why in Christ? Because my good works in and of themselves are not enough. My good works have to be born out of agape, out of Christ. Good works in Christ. Christ is God. God is love. Love is agape. See the connect? So my good works birth out of agape. And here's the thing that Paul says. For us to do. I underlined it and I made it yellow. And if I could make it flash different colors. Because here's the thing. For us to do. God prepared in advance for his church to talk about a lot. And form committees. And discuss ad nauseum. And dream. And visionize. And put on maps. No, he just says do it. For us to engage and for us to do. For us to, to be active in. Why? Because we're the prophetic witness of God's love to the world and they need it. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men. That they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Whose light? Whose light? It says your light. Your light. Well, what's God really saying? You, you've got no light to give. Because you've been loved, because the light of God's love is in your life, you now have it to give. But he's not saying, hey, I'm just going to like, it's not going to be like a trance that it's something comes over you and you're like, oh wait, I'm having a light moment. Right? He says, I put it in you, now you shine it. It's yours to turn on and off. You, you have control of the switch. Because God is still honoring your freedom and your free will. You can choose to display or not display his love. He's not going to just make you like the little monkey, right? Just wind you up and go, hey, go love people. It is yours to choose to turn on that switch and display it. Make it visible. Your light. 
that you've received, that you've made your own because God has given it to you. Let that light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. Don't just think about it. Do something. Why? Because then they praise your Father in heaven that they might turn to him and live. Good deeds make agape visible. It's not enough to think about it. It's not enough to talk about it. It's not enough to pray that someone else does it. Your good deeds, your good deeds, make agape, make God visible. You display God in a prophetic way to the world when you act it out. 1 Timothy 5.25 In the same way, good deeds are obvious. They're obvious. And even those that are not cannot be hidden. I love that. In the same way, good deeds are obvious. You're going to see them. They stand out. They stick out. And even the ones that you try to hide, they're still going to find a way to get out. It's like the light creeping down under through the door and through the cracks in the wall, right? You can see it. But he says, make the... Now, this is not a prideful thing. This is not like, hey, look at me. I'm being light right here, right here. Look at me. That's not the obvious. It's not a prideful. But the person on the receiving end of the love should know they're being loved. Right? They should know they're being loved. They should walk away from a love encounter with you going, man, I just got something out of that. Short conversation. Check it out. Standing in line at the grocery store, just asking the person in front of you, how's your day going? And they should walk out going, I just went in to get, you know, a Coke and a bag of chips. And, man, I just, I feel different. Make it obvious. It's not a game show. It's not a trick that God's saying, make it obvious. Make it, uh, you can't just let it blend into the background. Well, I don't want to stand out too much. Too bad. Jesus really stood out when he hung on the cross. He stood out. Let it stand out. Again, don't, don't make it weird. Don't go stand on your desk at work. That's not what I'm saying. But don't try and conceal it and blend in and have little bits of light come out. Be confident in who you are in Christ. Love is manifest through good works. When we love people practically, we display, demonstrate, and declare the love of God for his people. His agape, unconditional love regardless of motive or spiritual condition, doesn't matter where they are, they are deserving of receiving it. And I just say this, when I talk about love and the church loving, what I am not talking about is programs in the church. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor, people have come to me and said, hey pastor, I've got a great idea for you to do. Hey, if it's your idea, you do it. Hey pastor, we should have this ministry. Why? Why? The ministry of the church, you know what the ministry of the church is? You. We're called to build you up. That's my job. Ephesians 4 says, my job is to equip you for the work of the ministry. So that when you come, don't be surprised when you come to me and say, hey, I have a really passion, real passion for this. We should do this as the church. I'm like, yeah, you should do that as the church. Go do it. 
This is not about establishing another program. Can I tell you? And there's things that, that we need to do for the building up of our body, our children's ministries, and marriage. But it's geared towards building up the body. And we, and we will do outreach and there are things we'll do. But there's ideas and passions that God's put on your heart. There's no way we could do all of your ministries as the institution, as New Community Church. Can I just tell you, I release you to do the ministry that God's called you to. Please go do it. Come on. If you don't, then I probably should find another job. Go be the church. Don't go to church. Go be the church. God's given you a passion. He prepared something in advance for you to do. Go do it. And can I tell you, if you're like, well, I'm not sure what it is, or I'm not sure how, come talk to me. I'd love to give you some ideas. And can I tell you this? Don't do it alone. God doesn't do anything alone. Jesus didn't do anything alone except for pray. But then even when he goes up to be transfigured, he brings three guys with him. Go be the church. I believe with all my heart that agape love can bring anyone into the kingdom. That when you agape, when I agape, there is no one, there is no one who can't be saved. No one. But you have it to give. You have it to give. Last question. In fact, why don't we stand and I'm going to ask you this question while you're on your feet. So why do we need to be here? So what's the point of this? Well, I kind of tipped my hand a little bit already. You're being equipped. You're being built up. I talked about the pep rally. We come here to get fired up. I hope you are fired up. Not because of me, but because of God's word this morning and his Holy Spirit moving in your heart. I hope you're fired up to go make a difference in your community, in your neighborhood, in your workplace. To go be light. To be the church. To be confident about who you are. In the love of God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. Let us consider... How we may spur one another towards what? Love and good deeds. Love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in their habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. And he's coming soon. Tomorrow, I don't know. The end of September, I don't know. But here's what I know. I have one less day at the end of today to show his love. And tomorrow it'll be one less day. We'll be one day closer. And I'm, I don't want to gamble with that time. That day is approaching. So what does the writer of Hebrews say? Don't give up coming together. Because there are those who say, you know what? God has a call in my life and I don't need the church. The body of Christ. I, I'm a, I can go do this thing. I started out this morning saying, we're not lone rangers. People who try and go do it on their own, you know what happens? They crash and burn. Because we're not designed for that. We're designed for a community. A new kind of community. See what I did there? Yeah. 
Don't give up gathering together because it's in this place that your brother and sister, when they know, wow, you have a passion for that. I get to hang out with Clint sometimes, picking on people this morning. He has a passion for business's mission. So when we talk, man, that's what we talk about. And I, get, I love hearing the ideas that God's putting on, on his heart. I know Trevor goes to Haiti, right? There's a passion to, to reach people in that nation. I'm like, I told him last week, I want to I have lunch. I want to hear about what God is doing. And every single one of you, if you tell me your story, here's what I commit to. Every time I see you, I'm going to ask you, how's that going? I met with someone in my office this week. I'm just picking on people. I met with Chris this week. And he shared a dream that God put on his heart. And I'm like, dude, I'm going to be your biggest cheerleader. Why? Because I want to spur you on towards love and good deeds. That's what we're designed for. But it doesn't just have to be me. Ask the people around you. Not just their name, but man, what are you passionate about? Can you imagine a church where people come in the first Sunday? Hi, what's your name? Hey, my name's Jim. Jim, man, what are you passionate about? You're weird. But here's... Because people have these hidden passions that never come out because they're going to think people, people are going to go, no, that's not possible. Or because they've never grasped the idea that God loves them. So when I say be released to be the church, I mean it. I mean it with every fiber of my being. You want to talk about what that looks like? Come have a conversation. If you want me to do it, well, we'll still have a conversation. It probably won't go the way you want it to, though. Is this helpful? Can you feel like we're setting our stance as a church to say, all right, let's go. Let's engage Glendora. And then Azusa and Covina and Laverne and the world. The power of God's love. Father God. <laughs> Lord, I see an army rushing down the mountainside because there's a whole host of people who've been taken captive. They're locked up in their sin and they're desperate. I see an army, Lord. Your army, your children, your, your, the, the church, your believers, those that you've saved and redeemed, equipped for battle, storming that stronghold with the weapon of love your word ready to bring salvation God do that work in us I pray this morning Lord if there is anyone who is not convinced a hundred percent that they are loved Lord would you just minister to them right now and remind them you are agape God agapes you with every fiber of who he is, with all of who he is. Help us to be confident in your love. Help us to share good deeds so that you would be seen in the world around us. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. Our prayer team is gonna come forward if you'd like someone to pray for you. If there's something on your heart that God is calling you to and you need someone to pray with you for the boldness to do it, come and pray with them. Don't hold back. Step out. Be bold this morning.
Would you love on someone today? Would you give them a hug? Ask them what their passion is, and then invite them to lunch so you can talk about it. We'll see you next week. God bless you as you go.